Good morning, church. Feel free to uh, stand and worship with us if you are so moved. Jesus. 
Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Just start rolling away When you come around my 
Good morning. Welcome to Genesis. My name is Liv. Uh, we are glad that you're with us. If you could take a moment to let us know that you're here. So you can either fill out our digital connection card, which you can find on our website homepage. And if you click on the Sunday service, you could fill it out there and submit it uh, so they'll get it in the office. There are some physical green cards, I think, still in the back of the pews that you could fill out. And you can turn those in at the wooden backs at the back of the sanctuary. So if you have prayer requests or you want to update your contact information and let us stay connected to you that way. Um, you can also place your offering if you've brought it with you physically um, in that same wooden box at the back. So thank you for, uh, to all those who faithfully still give online or via text. But if you're new to Genesis, we'd love to connect with you as well. Text new to Genesis at 94,000, so 94,000, and that way you can get added to our distribution list and we can stay connected with you that way. Uh, another uh, announcement is if you are willing to host a gathering this summer. So maybe in the evening on a Sunday, there's a, a schedule floating around, um, whether you could do a, like a fire in your backyard or maybe even a picnic lunch, not in the evening, or like some summer games or anything sort of that you like to do and would like to engage with others in the church community. We'd love for you to um, help us extend that belonging to others over the summertime. So there is a link on the weekly email and so you can see when events are happening. I think there is something um, this evening. Um, and, or you can contact Pastor Nate to host on one of the open dates, and then you can check back on that link to see um, what is taking place over the summer. We are also looking for a youth ministry director to lead our middle school and high school kids. So this is a part-time position. There's a lot of flexibility. And if that's something that you or someone that you know of um, that you think that you'd be interested in, uh, please stop by the Garden Dust and uh, ask for some more information. We'd love to be able to talk to you more about that. We're also in need of a few summertime volunteers to brew coffee on Sunday morning. So if that's in your wheelhouse or if it's not, we'll train you. But we do have a couple, obviously we have vacation schedules to work with and a couple of babies being born. That's not a guarantee if you are to work in coffee, if, if that's something you're looking to do. But we do have some vacancies that are popping up throughout these coming months. So please put your interest on that green card. You can send that via the text. You can chat with one of the staff. Um, we'd love to be able to slot you in that way. So um, at this time, if you have Summit or Treehouse kids that are going upstairs, Miss Allison is in the back to bring you upstairs. 
Otherwise, stand up, take a minute to connect with one another, and uh, chat about how your summer is going so far. Good morning, church. We're going to wrap up connection time. Glad to see everyone getting to chat and catch up. The next section we're going to have is a prayer for the world. Um, and the prayer will be on the screen, and there will be parts that I read and then parts where you respond. So look out for little lines that say congregation. As the prayer concludes, there are a couple ways for us to respond. Uh, first is that the band will be playing, and so if you'd like, you can sit, you can pray, you can sing along. Um, feel free to have time of reflection. Uh, the second is that during the song, um, feel free to come up to the front and light a candle prayerfully and find some time to meditate or reflect. There will also be a link on the last slide um, to a space where you can give to efforts in fighting hunger and famine in Somalia right now. 
So if you choose to respond in that way, there will be a link on the screen. Um, and then lastly, if you feel like there's something that you'd like us to add to our prayer list, or there's a specific way that you'd like to respond or talk about how to respond as a community, um, please feel free to reach out to a pastor, to an elder, or text us at 94,000. Um, so with that, please join me for the prayer for the world. Lord, we pray for eyes to see those around us who are in need, in our homes, in our families, and in our friend groups, in our places of work, and in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our country, and in our world. We pray for the families impacted by the mass shootings in Uvalde and Highland Park. We grieve with them. We pray for those impacted by the hundreds of mass shootings that have happened in our country this year. Lord, give us opportunities to engage and respond, to take steps towards preventing anything like this from ever happening again. God, we pray for indigenous communities both at home and abroad who are on a journey towards achieving and maintaining sovereignty. Those who are fighting to preserve their lands, cultures, and histories. We pray for healing from generations of injustice. God, we pray for the war in Ukraine. We pray for those who are suffering, those who have lost loved ones, and those who are currently in danger. We pray for the end of this war. Protect and comfort those who are suffering. Empower and intervene in the hearts of individuals who can stop this violence. Lord, we pray for Somalia. God, we pray for rain and for food, for the end of this famine. God, move us to action and provide channels for us to respond and share our resources. Open our hearts to engage and respond. We pray for Eastern Afghanistan as they recover from a devastating earthquake. God, we ask that you mourn with those who are mourning, give peace and comfort to those who are in peril, and heal those who have sustained injury. We ask that you provide peace and resources for those who lost family members and loved ones. Give us hearts to respond. We pray for the people of Sri Lanka facing economic devastation and political unrest. Lord, bring them peace, stability, and resources they need during this season of volatility. God, we pray for our own nation as we navigate the social, political, and economic impacts of COVID-19. We ask that you ease our fears for the future, provide for our needs, and give us opportunities to look out for one another. Soften our hearts to hear others. Give us spaces of empathy and understanding. God, I confess for myself my love of comfort, my worship of self-preservation, and practice of putting myself first. Lord, slow my mind and open my senses to where you are already at work around me. Allow me to observe, experience, and join in your rhythms. Lord, hear my prayer. God, we ask that you help us look up from our own, own challenges and sufferings and see those in need around us. We ask that you fill our cups as we pour out to a world in need. 
Move us to empathy, self-sacrifice, and connection. Soften our hearts, open our eyes, and give us avenues to respond. Help us engage with a world in need. Protect us from apathy or overwhelming hopelessness. We pray for a spirit of empathy and action. Amen. fight for me. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will
storm louder and louder you're gonna hear my praises roar up from the Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. We thought it's fitting as we talk about violence, especially in the First Testament, some call it the Old Testament, we thought it'd be fitting to pause and to pray for places in the world. We're very aware of places like Ukraine and Russia with the violence that's happening there. Maybe not so much aware of the civil wars happening in Ethiopia. Maybe not so much aware of the tension that's with China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. More than likely looking like another war will happen. Not also knowing that in Somalia they've had five years of drought. Islamic militants who stop all of the aid from coming in. And a war in Russia and Ukraine that's limiting grain from the worlds to come and to feed them. In 2011, 250,000, mostly women and children, died of starvation. Not because of the lack of food. Not because there wasn't the ability to meet the need. But just because of ugliness. War and evil. And not to mention the strains and the struggles that take place even here. And so we, we pause, and it can be almost be overwhelming, just the way of life. So we say, God, have mercy. Trent, thank you for putting together corporate chants for us to worship. So grateful for you for being willing to put words and time. And today is the day we're going to talk for a little bit. We're going to look into the scriptures. We're going to look at Jesus into the scriptures. We're going to look at Jesus pulling in scriptures from what we call the Old Testament, which would have been his Bible, which is his Tanakh, the scriptures. There were no other scriptures. So Jesus is opening those and teaching the people how to read those. So we're going to look at that, and then we're going to give you a chance to discuss. Because... In the text, as, as the early Christians were writing to the church, they say, you grow not by somebody, not by one or two people who have all the information, teach you everything, you grow by helping each other. And so we, we long to flourish, to grow, and we need each other's help. So we're going to give time for discussion. I remember when we talked about this from early on, people thought they were missing out. <laughs> no, the, 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 the knowledge is here. You guys have so much experience and knowledge about this. So we're going to give time for that. But today we're looking at what, what do you do 
with the violence, with those pictures of God that don't look like Jesus. How do you reconcile that? What do you do with that? Do you go there? Do you read it? And what about the people who take those stories of conquest, tribalism, and apply it today? The stories of Israel. And God's saying, hey, go into Canaan and kill every man, woman, child, baby, animal. Annihilate the Amalekites, send them out. Not permission from God, but actually spoken by God. What do you do with that? And for some, that's a wrestle. For others, say, I got no issue with it. And so we're not in here to create issues where there's not an issue for you. But for those of you who wrestle and you say, I don't know how to reconcile this. I don't know how to read this. These seem like a couple of different gods. And if you see yourself like the people of Israel, then that can go good. But if you're like the other people, it doesn't look so good. Now, in the course of our time, in the course of history, again and again and again, people have used ancient texts in order to endorse and to justify and to be a permission to engage in acts of violence in the name of God. Sometimes it's opposed and sometimes it is not. We see that happening through the Crusades. We see that happening at multiple times in our time, even after the Reformation, there was so much bloodshed and violence in the name of God. You can read about this history of violence, even after the person of Jesus, and we have to scratch our heads. In, the 16, in 1637, there was so much violence put it by Europeans and the early colonists in the Americas towards the First Nations people, to the American Indians. There is an account of this, in the, and it's by a book it's called In the Earth Shall Weep. It's the history of Native Americans, told by their ancestors, told in documents, but it just sort of goes through the stories. And in, 18, in, 17, sorry, in 1637, there were colonists or Europeans in Connecticut, and they wanted to take the land of the Peacock people, or the Peacock people. And so they decided they would get a war party together and attack this First Nations people. Um, and the attack was unprovoked. They, they wanted the land. So they went to their chaplain, you know, like, hey, we're thinking about, you know, attacking all these people. What should we do? And the chaplain's like, well, let me pray all night. And at the end of this, and again, this is documented, so if you want to look into this, you can. At the end of the night, he says, oh, I've prayed. We're at peace. This is of God. So they send a war party of 90 and annihilate and kill by between about 400 and 700 Native Americans. In the next few months, uh, the Peacock people are almost completely annihilated through war parties, unprovoked. The people seemed to be conflicted about this, and so they would write, and they would say, well, this, this seems a little bit off. So they would wrestle, and they would look to the scriptures. And in the documents that Colonel Mason and the Reverend Stone, different voices with this time, would write things like, this was the Lord's doing. In the time of David, did they not come and conquest and annihilate the enemies of God? the savages, 
No, this was the work of God. So the trouble we're looking at now, and if we think this is just something like, oh, this, this happened before, but this won't happen again. People won't justify the use of violence in the name of God. I think we're being a bit naive. Not to be afraid of that, but in some way to have some sort of ground to be able to speak against it. To know when it is utterly evil and not a part of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And so we want to take just a, a quick pause, look into the scriptures and say, how do we engage this? Well, how did Jesus deal with these troubling texts that seem to justify the reality of God striking back at God's enemies and annihilating them if he chooses so? And at the time of Israel, it almost seemed like anybody who is not if Israel or Jewish is an enemy of God, or if you're against Israel, you're an enemy of God. They were an oppressed people. They did have enemies. They did have people who wanted to annihilate them. They have a history of that, not only ancient, but also recent. Most of us do not come from a context of oppressed. Some of us here do. There's traditions of our ancestors who were oppressed. And we look to the scriptures differently when that's the story. But how did Jesus, how did Jesus engage this? Now, this is not definitive. But let me go to Luke chapter 4. Of Jesus engaging the prophets and the early stories We also know that Jesus is teaching. That's one thing you can always look to. What did Jesus teach? What did he say about these kinds of things? What did Jesus do? Again and again, if you look at the life of Jesus, you're gonna, there's going to be some trouble for engaging in violence. But here's Luke 4. Jesus has just come out of the desert, 40 days of fasting. He goes home to Nazareth. This was his hometown. He goes into the synagogue. He stands up to read. He's of age to read the scriptures. He's handed a text from Isaiah, a prophet of Israel. And he opens it up and he reads from a passage in Isaiah chapter 61. This is in verse 18. Of Luke chapter 4, as he's in the synagogue in Galilee. And he reads from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him. And were amazed by the gracious words that come from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. So he reads this text, this time of jubilee. 
this time when things are going to be restored. When things are going to return. And God's favor is going to be upon the people. And all the people are like, wow. He speaks great. This sure is good. God's favor upon us. No longer being oppressed. Proclaiming good news to the poor. Freedom for prisoners. Sight for the blind. The oppressed free. God's favor breaking in upon us. But then Jesus keeps going. In verse 23. And Jesus said to them, Surely you'll quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what you have heard you did in Capernaum. Now, let me pause real quick. Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. You can look at that. You can open up Isaiah 61. It's just verses 1 and 2. But something really, really interesting and significant happens here. In this text, there's all this good news. But in just like the second verse, Jesus stops short. He leads off a line. He ends with the favor of God. Jubilee. But he leaves off this in Isaiah 61. The day of ven- in the day of vengeance of the Lord. He leaves off vengeance. You guys know what cherry picking is? Not literally, but figuratively. <laughs> you know what it is to cherry pick? If, especially if you're like in the Bible. That means you would like take the stuff you like and leave behind what you don't like. That's what cherry picking is. So you'll pull up something and you'll be like, here's something good. And then, but yet, anything else that talks about something you don't like or that seems hard, you, you ignore. A lot of people get critiqued for cherry picking. Is Jesus cherry picking? Meaning, is he, is he omitting? Is he leaving off? Does he just forget that, ven- I mean, well, I mean, he's reading it. Why doesn't he mention Vengeance. Maybe he just doesn't want to mix up the message, right? I want to tell you, Jesus wants to make a point here. And if we think he's just doing it to tell one message, when the stories he tells next are going to make it completely clear that intentionally he was not speaking of God's vengeance towards God's enemies. He leaves off vengeance. So far, it's really good news. He's not cherry-picking. But we are seeing how Jesus reads the Scriptures. How Jesus interprets the Scriptures. How Jesus is even applying the Scriptures. And for some of us, it might be troublesome. So Jesus goes on, as, we, as I kind of started there. Jesus continues after they're speaking well of him. They're speaking great of him. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 24, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed. 
only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the borough on the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So if we're thinking that Jesus just accidentally leaves off vengeance, he makes it abundantly clear in the way that he reads the scripture, because he's reading of a prophet, and then he pulls in two stories. Two stories that seem sort of menial and small in the arc of the Jewish texts of the Tanakh. He pulls in two stories, one from 1 Kings and one from 2 Kings, and both of them have to do with foreigners in the time of occupation or in a time of exile. The ones where Israel is longing for God to redeem them from their enemies and strike down vengeance on the ones who came and annihilated them. And yet Jesus says, how interesting, how interesting that when the prophet in his own hometown didn't heal anybody, but yet goes off to the foreigner and to the woman during the time of famine, and God provides for her. How interesting that of all the lepers in the place of Israel, that Naaman, the Syrian general, the warlord, the warrior, who directly put his hand in order to oppress and kill the people of Judah, he is the one who is healed. Jesus is making it abundantly clear that this message of jubilee this message of God coming to liberate was for everybody. It was going to be way more expansive. What God was going to do was going to bring good news to everybody, just not to a few. Their enemies would not be annihilated. They were being included. These good words were being spoken over them. God's favor is for everyone. So when Jesus announced God's favor, everybody spoke kindly of him and spoke highly of him. But when he began to include their enemies, when he began to point to stories within the ancient text that showed God's favor and his mercy being poured upon destitute, widows not from Israel and God's mercy and goodness and kindness poured out upon generals from Syria they began to understand and got angry when their God of vengeance was edited where the vengeance was put aside for the sake of jubilee for the sake of mercy they wanted to kill Jesus Does this mean that there's no divine judgment? Well, if you hear me talk about hell, no, that's not, that's not what this is saying. There is judgment. At the end of times, there will be a judgment. But it's different. It's a judgment based on God's love and commitment to restoration. So this is how Jesus is reading the scriptures 
what do we do? So I want to put two things before us before we go into our groups. And you begin to discuss this with each other. So what do we do? How do we live? How do we engage? How do we read the Bible? And the first one is this, look to Jesus. And this whole time we've been going through the series, we've been starting with that. In John 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is God himself, or is himself God, is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus is making known God. We look to Jesus, who is God himself. And so any scripture that claims to reveal God must bow to the living God when he came into flesh. What does not align with the revelation of God and Jesus Christ does not reveal God. In Colossians, the writers of the early church said this, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. The icon. Jesus is the icon, the image of God. If you want to know what God looks like, look to Jesus. And so, friends, look to Jesus. Well, what do we do with the, all the killing, the stealing, and the destruction today that we see? Do we... Do we put that into God's hand? Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus in Luke 10 said, the thief. Who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy? The thief. Jesus makes it clear. He is not the thief. God is not divided. The yin and the yang. John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life. And have it to the full. So I ask you this question. Who is the death dealer? And who is the life giver? And who are we to imitate? Look to Jesus. One of the, not only the teachings of Jesus that pour out this beautiful ethic of Jesus, but if we even look at the last moments of Jesus, murdered, crucified, hand over to the Roman soldiers, betrayed by the religious elite, mocked, spit upon, crucified, brutal death. And as he is dying, to make it abundantly clear of God's posture towards humanity, Jesus says this, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. He proclaims forgiveness. Who could, who could be described as a greater enemy of God than the people who actually kill God? Right? Who could... Who could have a worse um, depiction upon their resume than murdering God in flesh? And yet Jesus proclaims over all of humanity, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
And when Jesus returns and raises from the dead, does he then release his people in order to um, get back? I mean, every movie that we've ever watched, these great revenge movies, it's like, hey, man, somebody's got to kick some butt and get revenge for Jesus. Who's going to get revenge for Jesus? And, and believe me, that has happened a number of times. People went after, after, the, after the Jewish people, trying to get revenge for Jesus, thinking it was the Jews who actually murdered him. This has happened. This is language that is still spoken today. Jesus' first word at the raising from the dead is this. Peace. Peace be with you. So look to Jesus. Number two, wrestle. Wrestle. Wrestle with the text. Are there some people who give you some definitive answers that are giving away ways to look at it? Absolutely. But I invite you to wrestle. I invite you to go into those texts. Go into the Old Testament and read it. And be disturbed. Be bothered. But wrestle. Invite Jesus with you into it and wrestle. Engage in it. What does this mean? How am I to take this? How are we to read this? What am I supposed to do with this? Wrestle. There's a story in Genesis 32 where Jacob wrestles with God and he won't let go until he gets the blessing. So I invite you to be a person who reads, who sits with Jesus in such a way, goes to the ancient text and wrestles with it and saying, God, I'm not going to get up until you show me the good, until you show me the blessing in this. Wrestle. Engage. For those who say, oh, this is so disturbing for me. I, 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 don't even, I don't even know if I can trust God. Not everybody is there, but for some they are. I'm going to give you three resources of people who are driving some beautiful conversations. If you're in that wrestle where you're struggling with this picture of God that is good, here's some places you can go. So these are the three resources of wrestling um, N.T. Wright has a podcast, Ask N.T. Wright Anything. Uh, his number nine, the Old Testament violence, when he pulls in Andy Stanley and Greg Boyd, that was on March 11th. The Bible for Normal People, um, episode 28, Greg Boyd, Jesus and Divine Violence. And then the third one is actually a course for $49. It's through the um, St. Stephen's University, the Institute of Religion, Peace and Justice, Peace and Violence in the Old Testament. I was kind of looking at that. I, I, I know of these people. Brad Jersick is the one who leads the last one. But it's for somebody who says, I, I need to take a deeper dive into this. These are resources um, for you to take a deeper dive into. If this is something you're like, I need to. I need to. Those are for you. But otherwise, we want you to gather with each other and to sit to welcome Jesus who is among us, to look at Jesus and to discuss with one another. We invite you to wrestle as we discuss with one another. So now we're going to break into our group. So I'm going to have, we have some facilitators who are here. So if you're a facilitator, if you'd stand up. And so you see them kind of around. We probably will split up the three that are right there. Um, and we invite you. Five, six, seven people come and sit around one of the, the people who are going to be guiding us to the questions. Sit with them. They're engaged. If you like the questions, you can answer. If you don't, you can just listen. But it is to participate. So we invite you to come around one of our facilitators. We've got Abby up here. We've got Liv standing right there. We've got Trent in the back. We've got Abby. 
standing back there, and we have Taylor up here, and we got Jill right in there. So five or six people, seven people come around them. We got 25 minutes at 11:20. It will be done. You'll be able to go on your way. But we invite you to gather around, engage in the conversation. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to meet us. Spirit of Jesus that gathers among us. Help us learn from each other. Help us to see you in this conversation. Amen. And then on Zoom, I believe we have somebody leading on Zoom. Probably Nasha is, is doing that. And so if you're on Zoom, feel free to stay there and engage with Nasha. Otherwise, we got some good people in there. Make sure if you've got issues with hearing, sit right next to the person who is guiding the conversation. Those with good ears, you can be wherever you are. Those with bad ears, God have mercy. All right.
Hello, can you all hear me? I think, uh, let me, are you not able to unmute right now? Okay, let me get that fixed for it. All right, now try it. Oh, okay, right. yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Good morning. Good morning, Good morning. Good morning. All right, so here's the first question. Okay. How did you first learn about the Old Testament and you know what did what did that introduction look like? So, how did you first learn about the Old Testament? What did that introduction look like? I can go I can go first if no one's ready. Yeah. You want me to go first? Uh, let's see. I I, uh, I learned uh, about the Old Testament uh, being a growing up as a Catholic, and my mom uh, ran the catechism program at the parish uh, we were first at. Uh, so we learned about it every uh, every Mass. They had the old readings from the Old Testament. Eleven years, uh, and we learned about uh, old and new. Uh, You're cutting out. Oh, sorry. We heard. We heard. We heard the first uh, two thirds. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Melanie, what about you? It's probably because we're, you know, we're living on wireless up here. <laughs> um, I didn't learn about it until I picked up the Bible and read it at like age 30. Okay. And uh, like, like most, I was horrified at uh, how violent it was. I had no idea. Yeah. How about the Collins home? Well, for me, I learned about it when I was just a kid in Sunday school. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And our eyes were wide open. But as we progressed, I began to question, why did that have to happen? Why was this done? A uh, lot, of, lot of violence. Yeah. Well, I grew up in the Catholic Church as well. And certainly at every Mass, there's a, a scripture from the Old Testament. I also went to Catholic grade school. And, and high um, school. And high school. Well, a couple years of high school. Um, and uh, uh, the focus in catechism was primarily on uh, the New Testament, on the, on the word of, of Christ. But, hmm. but it had, a, a, you know, I think I, I, I too, like Melanie, it was like, oh my gosh, when I did read anything from the scripture of the vengeance of God and oh my gosh that was in such contrast to Christ's teachings mm -hmm. yeah my I think my introduction was that the Old Testament was basically there were pieces that we should um, take from it like the Garden of Eden um, the story of Moses the Psalms those were good yeah. Um, but then, like, I I remember kind of being introduced to it. Like, that's the old Bible. 
So we don't we don't follow that or we don't believe in that. We believe in the new Bible, which is, you know, what I guess would be considered the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't until I was much older um, that I started to study the Old Testament. And um, I so I don't know if, if you heard my talk last week around Revelation, um, mm-hmm. but con context is really important right and when we think about the old testament as being the story of a people on a journey and then trying to communicate what they understood with what they knew and i think that sometimes we put on uh the writers of the scriptures we put on them what we know so like even like with Revelation, when uh, John's talking about the four horsemen standing at the four corners of the earth, like the four corners of the earth for him was the Roman Empire. <laughs> that was it. They didn't, you know, they, they thought the earth was that. And so like, but when we read it, we're like, oh my gosh, the four corners of the earth, this, you know, so I think that I think that what we tend to not understand is uh, the male dominance of the Old Testaments, like the the culture that they were written in. It was a male dominant. Female voices were silent. They're not expressed in there. Mm. Um, And I always try to remember whenever we're talking about anything in history, it is always the victors who have written history. Yeah. The what? The victors. Yeah, those who yeah. have written write the history. History yeah. is written by, by the victors. victors. That's right. And so even in these stories, when it's um, like, when it's like, oh, and then mm-hmm. God came to our aid and we destroyed three, you know, three cities. And it's like, well, who's writing that? The person who's writing that is the person who won. In that, in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that to me has always been kind of helpful when I'm thinking about the Old Testament that one, it can't be divorced from its context. So if I don't know the context, I need to do some homework mm-hmm. and I need to figure out what was actually happening at that time. And then two, it's always gonna be the person who had power, which would be the male voice had the power to even write it or to communicate it. But then that would be the male voice of the victors. So like, it's a funnel, you know, like, and so uh, kind of going through that and applying that can be helpful um, in trying to understand some of what's going on in there. I'm imagining uh, if they ever lost, it was the vengeance of God and the evil that the people had done that caused the defeat right um if they're ever defeated anywhere it's right. something they did wrong so yep. it wasn't that you know the other people were stronger and just walked all over them anyway yeah yeah, yeah there's always where they, where they were coming from what shoes is, they're in and god is always depicted as a male right every, every narrative is he god is a he um and we don't know that <laughs> right no well god god created he and she so i think god is both whatever that would look well, like yeah however right. we interpret it yeah yeah 
Well, when you when you think about the Old Testament, are there parts that you intentionally avoid? Yeah, th- those parts, <laughs> like the parts of Exodus that are, you know, so violent. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, so, going around killing the male so, firstborn. So difficult to, wow, you know, to read that. And um, and and you know, it's true. You know, it's like we still struggle with that today. There's still like, like Bo was saying in his um, address this morning. It's like. There's so much violence and and, and um, it's credited with um, you know oh okay you know going back to the Old Testament that it's okay so in the mind of these perpetrators who are you know they're young males <laughs> and they're dealing with there's a lot of surging testosterone and those at, at that age at the stage of life it's just like without some support and uh, direction for young men at that stage of life, if they're left on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's human nature to interpret things to support your own view. Yeah. Always. I mean, I, yeah. 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 Have you like I said, when, when I, when I picked up that I told you, I, I read the Bible. It was for the first time, you know, I, and somebody said, you know, there's all these books in the, planet why is it that you haven't read the bible at that point i wasn't even very convinced of anything and that obviously it changed my view but so i've only read it once right it took me forever to read the bible like a couple years and so i haven't really gotten back into it so when i do when i'm in pain or i can't sort something out I, I do cherry pick and I look for, I look for scripture that is um, applicable to where I'm at. And, you know, I don't know if that's a, a good thing or not, but that's, if it throws me to the old Testament, that's really the only time I go there. And of yeah. course you end up in Psalms looking, usually it's for trying to find some kind of peace with whatever I'm wrestling with or, uh, and the bible that's sort of peaceful in the old testament it's psalms and i don't remember but that's kind of how i have used it the last 10 years honestly yeah well and proverbs is a, always a very interesting well, that's the other one yeah yeah because it's um it's kind of like a, a paddle wheel of wisdom Mm-hmm. Like if you read through Proverbs, you'll feel you'll recognize that there are certain themes that cycle through it. Uh, like if you try to if you sit down and read it all in one in one reading. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have found that there's a the book of Lamentations is an interesting read. Mm-hmm. Um, if you when you think about what lamenting is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, lamenting is a form of worship and so you know sometimes our worship songs are directing our praise towards god lamenting is directing our grief directing our sorrow and that is a form of worship as well it's us recognizing 
that what we're going through is beyond us mm-hmm. and that we, we can't dictate and that we're at, at the end of our rope. That's part of what appeals to us in the Psalms mm-hmm. is that with the writer of the Psalms, a lot of it, uh, like if you take a paragraph, it'll be like, uh, God, why have you left me? <laughs> And then it's like, I'm in such pain. I've lost all my friends. They're trying to hunt me. And then yet I will praise you. And like, when you, when you look at those like sandwiches and the Psalms, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, God is, God is as welcoming of our praise as God is of our lament. Mm-hmm. And so it's, that's important for us to know. I, I think that those are some of the beautiful parts of the old testament that get missed when somebody's like uh i started reading it and then (laughs) quickly you know it went to um child sacrifice Mm -hmm. um when we so like when i you know when i talk about um the context i think one of the things that we we forget is the progressive learning of humanity and so when we think about, um, you know, like, like original peoples, um, if we were following that story as a narrative, it would say that um, to appease God, you would make an offering. And so you have Cain and Abel, and they both make offerings, and one pleases God, one doesn't. And then the response is violence. And then if you follow humanity, when there was a drought, how then do we appease God so we can get rain? Well, we sacrifice a child. And so you would have this human sacrifice that was common in that day. And so in the story of Abraham with Isaac, it's not that far of a cry for them to think I'm going to sacrifice my son. Mm. It was actually very common. What's beautiful is that God interrupts it and says, we're not doing that anymore. We're not sacrificing children. Now we're going to sacrifice animals. And so they moved to the season where now sacrifice is the sacrifice of animals. And that follows through the majority of then the Old Testament. And it gives you specifics about if you do this, then bring two doves and, a, you know, like it's very specific. Yeah. And then what we see is Jesus being the fulfillment of the sacrifice. And right. so then now then and Jesus says to us that God is not interested in our sacrifice, but is interested in our obedience and in our mercy. Mm-hmm. So even in that, like you can, you can kind of see like these, put the progression of humanity and then God showing up and meeting humanity in every spot along the way. Mm-hmm. And so like for us now, we don't do animal sacrifice. Our sacrifice looks different than it did in the Old Testament, but in the Old Testament, it made sense because that's what their practice was. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's just kind of, it's kind of an interesting, so rather than somebody saying, well, God allowed human sacrifice i would actually say god was in the conversation where humanity was practicing human sacrifice does that make sense yeah it's different it's a it's looking at it differently whereas 
Old, old, the Old Testament is telling what was happening as opposed to prescribing what should be happening. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so difficult about it. Like I saw your um, sermon last week and I thought it was amazing. And it was so helpful because especially in Revelations, I mean, I can barely read it because it flips me out so much. <laughs> but to hear, I mean, honestly, I'm like, no, I, I got, you got me till that. But to hear you talk about it last week, I was like, it was so helpful. It was the first time in my journey of spiritual um, awakening that I could even accept it at all. Well, and I, I want to say thank you. Oh, yeah. You know, hey, go go I, back and was, read it with those eyes. It'll be fun for you. Yeah. You know, and actually, Greg had missed it. I'm like, we, we need to go back. You have to watch that. I learned so much. Yeah, you guys, that would be fun for you. And it was, uh, but it's hard to find a voice that can cut through all the current rhetoric to explain scripture, to understand it Mm -hmm. in today's time is where I find challenge. So I tend to not look, um, which is kind of an easy way out, I suppose, but I really don't know uh, very many resources one that I trust these days and two that makes sense to me. Yeah. Why well, I, I will encourage you if you get a chance to check out the Bible for normal people. I wrote that down. Yeah. It's a, it is a podcast, but you can kind of, you can go through and just hear. Um, so the, like the phrase is hermeneutics. So hermeneutics is basically how you interpret the scripture. And so what would be helpful through that podcast is that you would kind of develop a consistent hermeneutic. And so like the problem with cherry picking is that um, people are very inconsistent. Mm -hmm. So like this is one that cracks me up. People, when people say to me, um, that they, they only support one man, one woman is marriage because that's what the Bible says. <laughs> and I say, so you haven't read the Old Testament. Yeah. Because <laughs> all of the founders of the faith had multiple wives. Mm-hmm. Why? Because that's how they did marriage then. That's the context. And concubines. Right. And so, like, it's never... It's never that simple of an answer. We, we mm-hmm. always want to be able to say, um, so when, when they're talking about marriage um, in the Old Testament, it looks different than marriage does today. And then when, we're ta- when Paul's talking about marriage, that looked different than it did in the Old Testament. And when Paul's talking about um not laying with a man the way that you would lay with a woman. If you actually look into that, what that means, that has to do with who has power in the relationship. It's actually an extremely male dominant statement that we would reject probably on grounds not even based around homosexuality, but around the idea of who had the power, who was the penetrator. Like, you don't lay with a man the way you lay with a woman. So like, there's all of this kind of stuff and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you get lost in it and overwhelmed. And so mm-hmm. I do, I, I think that one of the, um, 
the best things that we can do as readers of the scripture um, and wanting the scriptures to be alive for us is to try to develop a consistent hermeneutic, which means regardless of the text that I'm approaching, there are certain things that I want to answer first. Who's mm-hmm. the author? Who was it written to? What mm-hmm. type of a book is it? Like, because the Bible has poetry, the Bible has letters, mm-hmm. the Bible has historical uh, genealogy lineage. So it's like, what, what is the intent of this? That, that in and of itself can be super helpful, but it helps to develop like this consistent hermeneutic and um, that podcast really pushes that. So hmm. yeah, and it's something that you can listen to when you're out gardening, you know, right. like put it on. And I mean, I just, I find it very fascinating. Yeah. Well, thanks. Well, when, when you think about um, your, your friends or family that have said to you, um, I like Jesus, or I like the idea of Jesus, but I don't like the violence in the church, mm-hmm. or I don't like the violence in the Bible. What do you say? I usually say when it, you know, in some sort of form that that comes up, um, I just usually say, I don't like it either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of it, I believe, is uh, uh, the Bible is the word of God, and the history of the Bible is man's power dealing with each other through the years. From you yeah. know, I always learned that the Old Testament was the story of a nomadic people becoming urbanized, mm. and the struggles, all the struggles with that. And people, you know, humans are kind of violent people. And we have not, you know, we're civilized now, but that means we can do the violence from further away. Right. <laughs> we don't we don't get the blood on us. That's that's how civilized we've gotten. But uh, yeah. Have you have you ever struggled with um, coming to a spot where you would communicate I, that I, I, um, I agree with you about your feelings about the violence in the Bible? And I think that people have misused the Bible for their own gain. Mm-hmm. They still do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 for sure, I think we have five boys between us, and all of them are very anti-Bible, um, any any kind of organized anything. And I've really struggled trying to um, verbally communicate with them about it. I mostly am hoping that that they they pick up on it from um, you know attraction to um the way that i live and i just keep praying for them and hope that you know one one of these days they're going to want to know more and at that point you know because i'm always kind of i i tend to say you know do your research 
I'm not here to sell you because they want me to sell it to them. Yeah. And I refuse to do that. And um, so it's, and I find that's the same with most people that have pretty firm walls up these days to even talk about Jesus. I mean, a lot of them say, well, you know, I, you know, I, I believe that there's probably something, you know, greater in this world, but you know, it's like that, that, People don't even have the language to talk about it. So there's kind of a an impasse that I find that I don't feel uh, practiced enough or like I don't have enough language at the tip of my fingers to throw stuff out because I, I, don't, I don't do it a lot. I don't talk about it a lot. Um, but but in, many, in many ways, it, it, it really, um, it behooves uh, parents as you you have tried to um, bring the, the the concept of there's something greater than ourselves, when particularly when we're struggling and when we're and we're in grief and when we're you know when we're really having the challenges that come with just being a human being, to have something um, outside of ourselves, you know, and I almost think of that as a gift that um, we give to kids and and then. You know, it's like the same thing. Doug and I have got several children between the two of us, and fortunately, my daughter, because she's got small children, is beginning to. You know, it's like starting to incorporate that whole concept of you know, there's a God, there's something outside of ourselves. But our other daughter and our other Doug's other children and and Doug's brother, they just they don't believe that they but don't when have that, I have, when I have, have asked them about it they've all said pretty much the same thing we worship in our own way don't try to put anything else on us and we're not and we're not and, and, but but yeah. have something then we it's difficult to explain it to you but okay. they they do know about God and everything that's that's going on the only ones we've run into that is anti-anti are uh, the girls across the street. Oh no, no, Darina's too. <laughs> this is my this is Doug's, Doug's oldest daughter. She's, um, I, but I think you know she's like she just she's in her early fifties now, and so she's and she's got a little boy. So it, it, whenever we get a little bit close to that dialogue, she's beginning. I'm hearing a little something different. Yeah. Um, now that you mention it. Yeah, but um, yeah, but you know, like, the, yeah, we have neighbors who are uh, who we, we consider our, our extended family, <laughs> and they're very much, yeah, that's like we don't we don't go anywhere spiritual with them because um, it's very difficult for them. They just, yeah, I think it's important for us as the church, meaning as the body of Christ, the current body of Christ. Um, in this generation, in this space, I think it's important for us to be quick to confess the misdeeds of the church. Mm -hmm. And I think that in doing, uh, for one, it makes, um, it makes a sacred space between us and the person that we're talking to, because they will immediately, um, my experience is that they immediately find a connection. So when I, when I 
a lot of people, you know, for me will be like, oh, wow, I'm surprised. I didn't know that you were a pastor or whatever, or I didn't know that you were, a, um, they'll say something like, oh man, if I ever came into your church, the, you know, lightning would strike or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then like, I'll ask them about that. Like, what, what do you, what do you mean? You know? Oh, and then you'll hear a story about somebody told them, you know, like that they were wrong, that they were living wrong, that, you know, and they, and then you kind of can get into the conversation of, well, I don't, 